0: Hello and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. This is Greg Shear, and I'm the head of JP Morgan's base and precious metals strategy. And today I'm joined by Sheikha Chattervedi, who heads up our global natural gas strategy. Today, Sheikha and I want to talk to you about two interesting supply dynamics happening in two very different commodities that are both grabbing a lot of attention as we are going through early 2024. First, in copper where a tightening across the upstream concentrate market is happening much quicker than expected and appears to be lurching towards a breaking point. The boosted risk of margin-induced production cuts at smelters could lead to a deeper refined copper deficit over the course of this year and continues to boost our conviction in a bullish trajectory for prices. And second in natural gas, where Shika will cover some of the recent whipsaw moves in US natural gas prices and whether it is enough to change near-term production estimates out of the US. Additionally, there's been increasing noise regarding US LNG exports and their role in global LNG supply in the longer term, which we will also address. First, starting on metals. After a relatively boring 2023, I'd say base metals and in particular copper fundamentals have gotten a lot more interesting in the last two months. What's basically happening in copper is that we're seeing an extreme tightening developing much quicker than expected uh, from the mine supply on down. In basically in late December, we took a look at and and revised our copper balances and stripped something around 600,000 metric tons out of our our supply uh, forecast. What, What basically this was on the back of was to a large mine in Panama, Cobre, Panama, as well as that being kind of offline in our view for at least the entirety of 2024 and and likely into 2025, as well as production downgrades at a scattering of other producers, but mainly Anglo-American. What this essentially did was it took our global copper mine supply growth forecast from something around 3% previously to now under 1%. And what it's also kind of set off is an extremely sharp dive lower in a, in, a, in a indicator called treatment and refining charges in copper. And this is essentially the, the amount of money that miners pay to smelters to treat and refine their copper concentrate into refined copper, which is what we trade on the LME. Now this is all a little bit in the weeds, but the long story short is that tightness in mine supply in copper translates into lower refined supply and a tighter market through two mechanisms. Essentially, margin pressure on smelters from lower TCRCs, which eventually was going to drive closure at loss-making smelting capacity, or an outright lack of concentrate availability to actually just feed through those smelters. And if we look at TCRCs, they were trading something around $90 per ton in September. As of this week, they're down to essentially below $30 per ton. So we've seen an extremely sharp tightening as it's under delivery and supply has sort of sent this this tightening in the concentrate market in copper into overdrive. What this is essentially doing, in my view, is setting a bit of a supply trap in copper. When we look at the Chinese industry, which is where a lot of supply growth in refined uh, smelted and refined copper came from last year, Um, their break-even TC, so essentially the average break-even TC needed at current prices, is something around $50 per metric ton. So we have now on a spot basis fallen below that level. That basically takes us to a place where we're approaching a breaking point, where in the coming months, we do think this margin pressure, as well as potentially an outright lack of availability of concentrate, will filter through from the upstream mine supply market into the refined market. And what this is doing is it's really underpinning a view here that we kind of first laid out in December and have now become increasingly convicted on that copper tightness on the supply side is being pulled forward in our balances and is setting up to look like actually a really tight potentially market in 2024 already. Right now, it's a waiting game. We're essentially waiting for this margin pressure to roll through for smelters to stop buying concentrate and essentially begin to drop their utilization uh, on the smelting production side, but we do think as things are developing right now, it looks like it's it's only a matter of time. And when we look historically, during these extreme periods of TCs, of low TCs or, or stress in the concentrate market, we do see it coincide with some pretty sharp jumps in the refined LME copper price. And so when we look forward, we're essentially waiting for the demand kicker to come through. And in our view, this is a, going to be mainly a recovery in ex-Chinese demand, which was contracted had contracted last year. But we think we'll stabilize and begin to recover as we get into a Fed cutting cycle and a bit more supportive of a manufacturing environment in the back half of this year. And from my perspective, what this all means is when that demand eventually comes back, we're anticipating a very strong, potentially upwards push in prices. So in the moment, we're thinking higher cost, higher kind of price floor for copper, something around 85, 8,500, 8,600. But we do kind of see the risk that that turning point into a place where we hit 9,000 and and quickly go up towards 11,000 is now much more potentially likely given the supply erosion that we've seen and could be, pulling forward into the back half of 24 in our forecasts so in general we're just waiting for supply to bite and it does look as of now some pretty extreme moves in parts of the copper market are showing us that this tightening is coming quicker and is going to be something that's going to be impactful for the whole entirety of this year and maybe now I'll throw it over to Shika Shika what's going on in the natural gas space
1: Yeah, thanks, Greg. So, you know, we're going to talk about what's going on in the short term, and then we're going to address today's um, halt by the Biden administration on LNG export uh, permit approvals at this point in time. Um, But let's start with the short term. So price moves in the U.S. natural gas market have definitely called into the question. Ideas about U.S. production growth in uh, 2024 and even into early 2025. We had a really warm December. It was a more than a one standard deviation weather event. January then, you know, kind of fizzled into averaging near the ten year normal. And now February is warmer than the ten year normal um, at this point. So weather has not really offered uh, a, enough demand to stop up U.S. production levels that were 105 BCF a day or higher uh, before the freeze offs. So as a result you know, with the volatile Jan weather, we've seen price moves this month span from somewhere around 330 per MMBTU all the way back down to 240 per MMBTU early this week on a settlement basis. And these are price points that we think matter, from a production perspective, if they are sustained. So we just want to go through a little bit of a reminder on where we think new production growth will be and also where curtailment levels from a price perspective will actually manifest. So in the Haynesville, we still believe that new production growth is needed. You need 350 per MMBTU. We want to be very sure to caution our, our listeners right now that in 2023, 2024 pricing was at 350 per MMBTU for much of the year. So there is a possibility that if you know a producer hedged significant amounts last year, um, they are certainly going to be able to do something with that production. But that said, I think that um, ultimately a lot of them still have some commodity risk that's out there and are facing these newer front month prices. And so when we look at You know, kind of holding things flat. We think a 275 per MMBTU level is what's necessary. We're below that right now, and we're still looking for a decline in the Haynesville for the time being. But you know, we have to say we are pretty impressed with what the Haynesville producers have been able to do so far. Um, just from a perspective of shut in curtailment prices, as a reminder, for the Haynesville, that's something between a dollar and a dollar twenty per MMBTU of regional price. And that is really to stop existing production flow. In the Northeast, um, we think that production levels uh, can really start to. We could see some new production, or at least maintenance and hold of existing production around three dollars per mmbtu or higher. And we're the first to tell you that Northeast producers keep telling us it doesn't work until you have three seventy five per mmbtu because of acreage degradation. But we did see some robust growth this past year, and it was a little bit surprising to us, and I think to some Northeast producers. Uh, so we're just going to have to watch the play very closely. They do have to be disciplined um, because of their pipeline constraints, uh, the takeaway constraints. So we think, you you know, they will be disciplined. And so they're probably gonna hold production flattish year on year, which is what we have embedded in our model. The shut-in price in the region is somewhere between 70 to 80 cents per MMBTU for existing production, and that's the regional price. So we're still looking for summer 24 production uh, to be around 104.7 BCF a day on average. That includes a decline in the Haynesville, which we are becoming less and less sure of, and uh, a northeast that is flattish uh, year-on-year uh, to last summer. But you know, we know the Permian will be a kicker. We just need to watch that. But as a reminder to our clients, Science. We want, um, our bullish narrative for Cal 25 is one that is regional. It's around Henry Hub and Permian gas will not ha- impact Henry Hub, in our opinion, until pipe connectivity in 26 and into 27. And so speaking of that 26, 27 time period, there's been quite a bit of noise and chatter uh, this week and even you know earlier in January about the Biden administration announcing a temporary pause in LNG export approvals. And it looks like that um, announcement did come out today already. Uh, the moratorium and approvals is for the potential reassessment and actually probably the reassessment of the requirements necessary for approval and export permits. Um, and so ultimately, I think that the, the- piece that the Biden administration is looking at right now is LNG's impact to climate, which is very much in line with sort of his platform that he's running on. Um, it It raises four questions for us. What exactly is the stance of the administration on the build out of new US LNG exports? Will it matter if there's an administration change Does this put existing projects currently in review in peril for approval? And what could be the impact to the global LNG markets and consumers abroad? So what it means in terms of timing and approvals, the Biden administration has generally been slower to grant LNG export approvals before this relative to the Trump and even Obama administration. Um, And it's interesting because we do think that, you know, the backdrop of the Russia-Ukraine war, the promises of U.S. LNG reaching out to Europe and and to Asia and to clients abroad, um, it, it makes this a little bit of a tricky sort of mess for Biden at this point in time. But the importance right now is that it's an election year and you have to appeal to your base and your base is pretty mad about certain things so there was a lot of backlash uh over the past year from environmental act activists for the approvals of alaska lng mountain valley pipeline and the willow oil and gas project in alaska last year so And that's really, I think, what the Biden administration is trying to address right now. Um, And so this really is centered around Calcasieu Pass 2, which is what the activists have zeroed in on for their sheer size um, and potential emissions. And so, you know, if we're stalling out on approvals for Calcasieu Pass 2 in 24 And we don't expect those to resume at least until 25. So um, when we look at, we talked to Rapidon and one of the things that they've said is that essentially either administration will probably resume the approval process in 2025. Um, And we'll go through that in just one second. But ultimately, Calcashew Pass 2 hasn't received this FID yet. Um, and so we think it's going to be important to see where the final investment decision probably gets pushed down the road because it's waiting for these permits. Um, and so it does cause a bit of a delay. So ultimately, from an administration standpoint, if Biden's back into office um, again after the election, we think that it will resume the approvals. It's a little, Uh, probably gonna be far more stringent. um, And there's probably more hurdles for LNG exporters um, and projects to have to kind of achieve from an environmental perspective. However, if it's a Trump administration, we obviously have this moratorium that's in place in 24 and it will likely be walked back completely by the Trump administration. So just really quickly on the impact to the global gas balances. Look, we we don't think that this is gonna be too big of a problem for the global markets. In 25 um, and even into 26, we have projects that are under construction that are already gonna be shipping out LNG exports. In 27 and 28, we have the Qataris that are gonna come on with a bunch of LNG exports. So the real question is we're gonna have to watch baseload demand growth uh, from Asia. But ultimately, we think that maybe all this has done is taken what we believed would be an oversupplied market towards the end of the decade for the global LNG market and now has made it a little more balanced if, in fact, these delays start to really um, push U.S. LNG exports further and further down the line. Um, we'll get back to you guys when we have more, more information and kind of have conversations with some of these LNG export facilities, um, and, and we'll certainly update you at that time. That wraps up this week's edition of JPM's At Any Rate podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we look forward to continuing the conversation next week. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2024, JPMorgan Chase and Company, All Rights Reserved. This episode was recorded on January 26, 2024.